0: Hi, this is Jim Lebedo. I'm president and founder of a company called The Performance Group. Our business is helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Harry, welcome to the program. Nice to be here, Jim couple of things before we get started here. I just want our audience to know that if they want to find out more information about you and your company uh, and your organization, they can go to the Internet and look up www.hsdent.com. That's pretty simple, hsdent.com. Well, Harry, I've had the luxury of actually following your works for a number of years after seeing your presentation it had to be around 91, 92, whenever the great boom Ahead was uh, published. And I remember sitting in the audience looking at the slides or your PowerPoint going, man, this just makes so much sense uh, of what he's talking about. So for the benefit of our audience who maybe is not aware of your work or has not a chance to read any of your books, tell me or tell the audience the premise behind what's driving most of your predictions, not only that, but the premise behind which has driven most of the uh, economic situations we've seen since the 90s when you've been reporting on this.
1: Well, you know, it comes down to demographics. People do predictable things as they age. You know, life insurance actuaries figured out a long time ago they could predict when people die on average. But, you know, in the decades I've been studying demographics in the baby boom generation. Uh, We have information on everything people do from cradle to grave. But The most important thing people do is enter the workforce around age 20, earn and spend more money as they raise their families and advance in their careers, and the peak in spending for the average family in this country is age 46. It's that simple that uh, you get a generation like the baby boom rising birth tide, and then 46 years later, the the economy will rise with their peak spending and productivity habits. And so we've said even back in the late 80s that, that this boom would end around late in this decade 2007 8 9 and then we would see a long slowdown much as we saw in the 1970s when the bob hope generation peaked and before that the bob uh, the henry ford generation peaked in the roaring 20s you know we see these 40-year generation cycles of the economy growing for about 25 to 28 years and then it slows down for 12 to 14 years so it's, it's just like a seasonal pattern but nobody sees it coming and everybody's surprised when all of a sudden growth turns to decline and baby boomers are simply going to be saving more for retirement in the decade ahead. And so it's going to be really hard for the government to meet their goals of stimulating the economy, even with trillions of dollars, because these baby boomers aren't going to be buying houses and they're not going to be buying cars uh, because people in their fifties and sixties don't do that.
0: Well, just talk about uh, Just again, for audience uh, sake, the, the baby boomer generation, give us the, the years that was born again started when and ended pretty much when?
1: Well, you know, the, the real rising tide of burst was between 1937 and 1961. So, again, we moved that forward on a 46-year lag, and you get this boom from the early 80s into 2007, um, you know, rising tide of earning and spending, and now it's going to go the other way. So, it, you know, it's, there's a lot of other things we look at, but that's the simple principle that people earn and spend money in a certain age, and then people spend less the rest of their life after they kind of plateau between 46 and, and 50, they spend less the rest of their life. So it's not retirement that tanks the, the economy so much as the peak in spending when, when, when our kids leave the nest and we start to prepare for retirement.
0: Okay. And, and um, you talk about in your book, and you, and you mentioned this, that uh, you said governments are really seem to be unaware of this or they seem to ignore it. The, this force that you say is driving most of uh, the economy. And I want to separate, you know, the the word administration because that tends to peg it towards an individual or individuals, and you say in a broad scope really the government. If, if it's that simple, Harry, why do people tend to ignore what you're talking about in, in this trend?
1: Well, you know, economists are a fraternity, and they've been taught certain things. And then somebody like me comes along like Galileo and says, hey, you know, guess what? The uh, – sun doesn't go around the earth. I mean, I mean, the earth doesn't go around the sun. I mean, you know, it, people don't want to hear it. it it's, it's pretty much that simple. I mean, when we get in front of audiences, just like you heard the presentation, people go, oh my gosh, these are predictable things that families and people like us do. And it makes total sense to people. But, you know, economists think it's all about monetary and fiscal policy and the government doing the right thing or not and all these things. And that's what they've thought for decades. And they believe in this downturn. Uh, called Keynesian economics, that the government can just stimulate their way out of this, and we say, no, Japan already tried to do this in the 90s, and we predicted that downturn. And with tons of stimulus, they couldn't turn around, a housing bubble bursting, and a generation declining and spending and turning to savers. So, you know, uh, yeah, it is simple, but it takes many decades for new theories to come into society and get approved by all the establishments. So we've really been talking to all business owners and and uh, financial advisors in the last uh, two decades and you know like you say they totally get it. it makes sense
0: and you talked about this in the 90s and even in your your recent works you steep, you keep referring back to Japan and say we ought to keep one eyeball on Japan and we ought to see what's going on in Japan why is that what's so significant about watching Japan and the trends that unfold there
1: you know, all of the developed countries uh, in Europe and North America, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan are aging and 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 peaking. And Japan just happened to go through this cycle of peaking in, in demographics and and had a housing bubble uh, two decades before us. So Japan demonstrates what happens. I mean, economists are saying we're going to see inflation because all this money printing. No, well, Japan printed a lot of money and stimulated the economy, and they got deflation. Japan had a housing bubble, a little bigger than ours, but similar. And, you know, housing more than doubled in five years, and then it crashed. And all the stimulus didn't stop that. Uh, Japan had the luxury of going through their demographic downturn when the rest of the world was booming, and still their stock market went down eighty percent when the rest of the world was booming. So, you know, it shows how fundamental these demographic cycles are and, and how the government really doesn't drive the economy as much as they think they do and isn't as much as in control and when the trends shift uh they try to do the same old things and it doesn't work so japan's a great example housing bubble demographic peak downturn you know what works and what doesn't i mean we, we ought to be able to learn from them totally and nobody's looking at this
0: okay Our numbers are 284-1040 if you want to call and have a question for Harry. Also, 800-469-4295 if you're outside of the area. You started, at least when I started paying attention, the book The Great Boom Ahead, published in 92. And then there's other books that followed. The Roaring 2000s, The Roaring 2000s Investor, The Next Great Bubble Boom, and, of course, now The Great Depression Ahead, How to Prosper in the Crash that Follows the Greatest Boom in History. The, the question I have is that uh, throughout your earlier works, it appears to be somewhat optimistic about what's moving ahead. And, and then when I saw your title for the new one, I said, The Great Depression. Well, okay, that doesn't sound to be the optimistic carry that I've been reading about. It, is it truly uh, – well, let's first, I guess, define the word depression. Why was that the title of your book, and, and what do you see coming ahead?
1: Well, two things, Jim. One is, even in our first book, The Great Boom Ahead, we said, literally on like page 16 or something, that the next downturn and depression would occur from 2008 to 2023. It's already set in the cards of baby boomer spending and then not spending. So we've been saying this from the beginning, and of course, yeah, we were very bullish. We've been one of the most bullish forecasters in the last two decades because we saw this big baby boom generation coming and driving the economy so strongly. Now, what a depression is... Uh, it's different. I mean, we, we went through a long downturn and an extended recession in the 70s and early 80s, when the last generation peaked. But but inflation was the trend then, so it was called stagflation. We have a broader business model that shows every two generations we get two booms and busts, and the booms are different and the busts are different. Um, and, and it's and it like follows the same four seasons uh, that, that weather goes through. You know, spring, summer fall, winter. What we are is is coming from the late blaze of fall with all the wonderful leaf colors at the top of this bubble boom, and we're going into winter. And winter is like temperature going down. And it's like deflation. After all these bubbles in real estate and stocks and commodities and all this debt and leverage that helped drive this boom and exaggerate it, now we deflate all of this stuff out of the economy. We deleverage, and that actually destroys money, assets, and credit faster than the government's stimulus plans and creates deflation. So it's a whole different environment than the 1970s, which means different strategies for investors and different strategies for businesses.
0: Well, is, that's why uh, maybe this one seems to be the recession we in so a little bit unnerving. Um, good, bad, or indifferent, I've been through uh, several of these, started – Actually, a sales career in 1980, and went through the farm crisis of the Midwest then, and of course that recession from '81 to '82, '83, depending on where you're at, and the, the ones that have followed since. And I was in front of a group of people the other day, and I said, "What's interesting about this one is it's non-discriminatory. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it, it's affecting everyone. Every, you know, if you had a 401k, you know, it's a 201k. Uh, even the super rich got bilked out of money. Uh, so the, from that aspect, it seems kind of un." Precedented. What What is the driving force where you've across-the-board universal impact, not only coast-to-coast, coast, but also now seems to be spread worldwide?
1: Yeah, around the world. Um, the other thing we've been saying for a long time is that when we hit this downturn, the, the, the normal kind of asset allocation practices that financial advisors recommend typically – will not work because after a major bubble boom, everything goes down. I mean, note that real estate's crashing, commodities are crashing, stocks are crashing, international and domestic stocks, small cap, large cap, everything's going down. In fact, even bonds are now starting to go down in value with interest rates rising. So uh, that's the nature of this crisis is that in a a boom like the 1980s through recently, is maximized. Bubbles are actually productive. A lot of capital gets created. Businesses get a lot of new models and innovations when all these new technologies are emerging mainstream. But when those bubbles burst and when the generation kind of slows down in spending, which helps trigger that, then you quickly go down to the businesses and the business models that really succeeded. So the economy has its own natural innovation process, uh, which is much better than governments or even businesses, and it's a natural season. I mean, uh, winter sounds bad and depression sounds bad, but the greatest mass prosperity boom in U.S. history occurred after the Great Depression in the 40s, 50s, and 60s when uh, the prosperity went much more mainstream and technologies went more mainstream. And that's because the Depression took so much leverage and, 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 and forced so much productivity and cost-squeezing uh, in the economy that it made everything more affordable and it, and it narrowed down to a few leaders in every industry, the General Electric, who actually brought the revolution the early 1900s, so, so the economy has a logic to it, and, and it, didn't. it goes through spring, like the 40s, 50s, and 60s boom, the 60s and 70s inflation, that's like summer. This growth boom we just went through, the bubble boom is like um, fall and then winter, brings everything down and shakes it out so that you can start with spring again and, 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 and grow again. So that's what happens. And, and it, you know, it, it'd be like most of us sitting, you know, in, in the upper Midwest and, and, and being surprised in, in November that it gets cold. This happens every year. Well, these generational cycles peak every 40 years, and you get a depression every 60 to 80 years. It's part of the cycle.
0: Okay. My question is, Harry, okay, it's almost the question, okay, uh, so what, now what? Let's, let's say I understand what you're talking about let's say I understand what's going on with that it still seems to me that it's a little bit unnerving for example um, this whole subprime meltdown they, they tend to blame it on that but I'm sitting here and I say I am most people are sitting here with less assets than they did a couple uh, year at least a year ago at this time somewhat nervous about where uh, employment is headed somewhat nervous about, How long this is going to last even though it seems the screw is turning and we seem to be on the upward bound if i'm sitting here as an investor or a business owner um, what advice are you given at this point even with all that uncertainty it still seems to be there well
1: again jim you know we've been bullish for 20 years and but we've been warning we would hit a period like this where things would go the other way so Our advice is the government is not going to be successful in stimulating us out of this. Yes, we are getting a recovery. Things are starting to turn around. Our leading indicators are suggesting that. But, I mean, we've only seen the subprime crisis thus far. You've got a broader prime crisis in real estate where a lot of good everyday middle class and and more affluent people bought homes that doubled in value on average in the United States in just five years. And now homes are deflating, and and that deflation process is not over yet, and it takes many years for that to happen. You've got Europe, and East Europe has a major banking crisis developing over a lot of uh, major loans to East European countries and businesses and and mortgages and stuff. And so it's just we're going to keep hitting these kind of meltdowns, and we've been telling people, you know, hey, if you didn't believe us at first and if you didn't sell stocks or real estate, um, hey we're getting a rebound now so stocks are probably likely to continue to edge up into July or so give or take and so, maybe
0: so Harry are you, are, you, are you saying what we're experiencing right now is kind of the calm before the storm?
1: Yeah this is like the eye you know the first part of the hurricane hit now the eye moving over and the second part is going to be worse as it always is and it's going to hit probably later this year and next year um with with a lot of flooding into 2011 and 12 or so so yeah this the, these type of, major financial crises and these types of changes in trends when a generation peaks and turns down. I mean, number one thing you got to notice is that we're talking about a 40-year cycle. When stocks peaked in 1929, they didn't get back to those levels until 1953, 25 years later. Next generation, they peaked in 1968, didn't get back to those levels until 1993, 25 years later. So this is not an ordinary recession. It's a major change in trends, and we have the most debt and leverage an economy has ever seen and this debt and leverage is going to have to be washed out of our economy and that's what deflation's about. It's painful but in the end home prices are going to be more affordable, standard of living is going to be more affordable, business costs are going to go down and again uh, that's how you get the next spring boom coming out of uh, depression which we uh, you know compare to winter.
0: Well people are talking about the all the money that we're printing right now that's gone into the uh, stimulus uh, program that that actually is going to go and lead to inflation. And you're saying actually we're entering a deflationary period. Explain why that is. What's causing that deflation?
1: It's because after a bubble room like this, and when you get this deleveraging process set in, that you destroy credit, loans get written off, assets fall. I mean, for example, just in the last year and a half, household net worth in the United States, all the households' net worth, has already dropped $13 trillion from the losses in stocks and real estate and commodities and stuff. And it's probably going to drop that much more before this is over. That's $25 trillion in assets get eliminated in all types of loans and leverage leverage in the uh, financial systems and the financial companies. And, in fact, we tell people people don't understand the whole debt structure of our country. We have like $56 trillion in debt. And only 11 of that is government, and that's rising fast. But the biggest single sector is not consumer debt at $14 trillion or corporate debt at near that. It is $17 trillion in just plain old financial debt with financial companies and banks and investment banks and brokerage firms to leverage investments. And that stuff's going to all almost all get wiped out. So, yes, the government's thrown $4 trillion at our economy, and they'll throw trillions more, but that doesn't compare – with the loans that will get written off and the fall in asset values, that's how you get deflation instead of inflation. And most people don't understand these seasons. Yes, our last downturn from 68 to 82 was inflationary. Every bubble boom in history has been followed by deflation, not inflation. So inflation, we may get some in the next year from this rebound, but, but ultimately this deleveraging is going to set back in. Baby boomers may spend a little here to catch up after being scared to death. But they're going to go to be savers instead of spenders, and the economy is going to continue to fail, and this deleveraging process is going to continue, and it is clearly deflationary. We're, we're 98% clear on that one, that, that inflation is not the long-term threat, deflation is. That means you need to hold cash. Businesses need to just survive, sell unnecessary assets, um, cut out you know, unprofitable business lines now before the uh, you know, economy forces you to. Uh, investors need to sell stocks on this rebound, uh, maybe in the next few months. Sell real estate that you wish you'd sold and you didn't believe it could go down, and, and just hold cash. And when everything goes down, your cash is worth more. Okay, it's a very so different environment.
0: Let's let's talk to our audience that are, they're business owners right now, because so I think you said it in your book, or, or uh, read something, your comment on it. You said now's the time to get lean and mean. Exactly. And so lean and mean and operational-wise, setting non-profitable divisions. Um, selling just-
1: unnecessary assets. I mean, you should be renting real estate, not owning unless it's totally strategic to your business. You should be cutting costs. You should be analyzing your overheads and deciding what really costs you a lot of money that doesn't make a lot of money. In other words, you know, accountants typically just allocate uh, – you know your office cost or your administrative mm-hmm. cost by dollar sales. But you know, the truth is, it's the number of orders or the or the amount of real estate you use in a department that creates those. If, if businesses will look at what causes their back line cost, they'll often find the eighty twenty rule emerge and say, "Oh, you know what? We make most of our money with twenty percent of our products." Well, focus on that. You, you notice in the bigger picture, General Motors, all these banks—they all over expanded, gotten all types of lines of business and. All these banks got into brokerage firms and investment banking and stuff they didn't understand. The economy's forcing them to go back to what they're really good at, and focus on that. So consolidation, Chapter 11. That's that's the that's the theme. That was the theme of the 1930s, when we saw the last depression. Uh, you get bank failures and business failures, but the 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 golden lining is the companies that hunker down and survive. All of their competitors fall away, and they end up inheriting. Massive amounts of market share and huge advantages for decades to come. So there, there's a real payoff if you see this coming again, either as an investor, just to you know get into cash and let all this stuff fall, and the greatest sale in history on financial assets or businesses that can take over your competitors, customers, and assets at bargain rates down the road if you just simply survive and, 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 and you know don't get caught in over expanding into
0: this downturn. So you're looking at. Uh... Um, If I can summarize what you're saying is, as a business owner, get focused on your core, what's your your core value you're delivering.
1: Yeah, and understand that that no longer is is the goal growth like it was in in the boom, even though you could grow in this downturn if you do the right thing. The goal is simply to survive and to decline less than your competitors. Uh, It is a survival of the fittest shakeout, just like winter does it in nature. That allows the next spring to come along. So, so the key is if you can just simply survive into 2012 or 13, when the worst of this is going to hit, um, you will um, have massive growth ahead of you. And, and General Motors um, created its long-term lead, not in the roaring twenties, as it was starting to, but in the thirties when it passed Ford and all the other companies, and they never caught up again. But But now, like any long-term cycle, General Motors is now dying. And, and of course, information industries are rising.
0: What do you think, uh, again, um, just talking to our business owners today, um, over the next couple years, what is the effect going to be on credit, the availability of credit? That's number one. There's, There's really two parts to this question. I'm going to separate the question of availability of credit over to, how financial institutions are going to respond. And let me give you just a little bit more background on where the question's coming from. I have a friend of mine who is a real estate developer, and he has 60, 70, 80% liquidity in some deals right now. In other words, they're 60, 80% financed with private equity, can't get a loan to finish off the other 20%. Um, So in one aspect, it seems that credit's not there, but the other aspect, it seems like banks are saying, we're not touching real estate with a 10-foot pole. Now, that's maybe particular to the commercial development area, but in general, what do you see happening with credit, and how do you think the financial institutions are going to be responding in the next 24 months?
1: Well, you know, we've already seen it begun. That, that financial institutions pull back and they pull back credit or they won't give you loans that they used to would have given you or you have to put more down and have higher credit quality. Now we're getting a little reprieve and you're thinking well, maybe they're going to loosen up a bit. But, but again, as these crises keep hitting, the banks are going to have to retrench. So you as a business and, and personally cannot rely on the banks for credit. That, that's why you need to get your own cash flow in order. You need to make short-term investments that create cash flow in your business and grow your marketing and your sales. You need to cut back unnecessary costs, sell assets that you don't really need. I mean, who needs to own real estate? I mean, people have owned it because they thought it always goes up. Well, it's not going up anymore. and It's not going to go up for a long time. So you create your own cash flow, and that way, when everybody else can't get credit and everybody's failing, you're sitting there looking pretty, and you've got the, the ability to walk in and take over assets from failed banks and failed companies its cents on the dollar. Okay.
0: Okay. A couple of quick things. All right. So I'm sitting here today. Uh, give me the quick insight if I'm looking at investing in stocks.
1: Okay. We're telling people, you know, whole stocks for now, we're in a bear market rally, and it has all the qualities of that. Um, and it's probably likely to last a little longer, maybe into July, August at the latest. But uh, I'd say after late July, I wouldn't want to be in stocks. I mean, if they go up to 9000 or 10000 I would take my money and run. Commodities may boom longer um, and later, um, although they've had a very terrific run. And I, I think the biggest thing we're preparing for is that sometime, probably mid to late next year, interest rates are going to keep going up and spike because they start to see this horrific crisis building. And, and in the 1930s, the best thing to do was to lock in long-term interest rates when they spiked in fear of credit default when you're actually going into a long-term deflation process, and that brings interest rates down. So you want to lock in high yields before they fall. So, and then also we're looking at probably the worst damage to the stock market being done by late next year, and Dow's probably going to fall somewhere between two and 5,000. At that point, Asia is going to be the best place to buy. Countries like China and India, and also maybe the healthcare sectors in the United States that still have strong demographic trends
0: behind them. Yeah, because you mentioned it in your book and stuff that uh, that actually healthcare may be inexpensive to buy in the near future.
1: Yeah, we've seen you know a huge bubble in, in both healthcare and even more so private education, you know, private schools and private colleges. And I think this downturn is going to bring a shakeout in those industries and, of course, a lot of changes in government policies to restructure health care and Medicare and stuff. And, and I think, yes, I think health care is finally going to come to reality, and so will private education for your kids. So, that again, depressions sound bad, but they create a lot of very good things. The, uh, after World War II, the late 40s, 50s, and 60s, was, you know, early 60s was the happiest time in U.S. history because everybody prospered. It wasn't just the rich doing well as in the roaring 20s and as in this last boom. So, so a lot of good things come out of this, but it is going to be painful. And if you see it coming, you can uh, avoid a lot of that pain, and in fact, even make very strong profits.
0: And you're, you're right. saying also, for meeting your material, now's necessary not to be time to investing or buying real estate.
1: Right, right. Wait real estate's to... probably about 60% of the way down. Our general rule for real estate, most bubbles go back to where they started. The Japan bubble, Real estate really bubbled up from 86 to 91, and then it came right back down to 86 prices ultimately. In the case of the United States, that means the bubble started more like in 2000 when the stock market started to fail and everybody started speculating in real estate. So uh, I'd be interested in real estate when it's back to 2000 year level prices. And of course, that, that's not as big a fall in the Midwest and places like Iowa, but it, 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 it's a huge fall where I am in Florida. I mean, I. Uh, I think real estate here is going to ultimately fall 70% from the top.
0: A question that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you tonight, what would that be?
1: Well, you know, I I think it's just, you know, why is this so different? And and I think it's important for people to understand that each boom is different, that this, this bubble boom we've seen in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, was about new technologies moving in, new business models, a lot of change, and then bubbles. That's when bubbles occur. The 40s, 50s, and 60s boom was not bubble-like. It was a more orderly boom from country, uh, companies like General Motors and General Electric that had drove and you know, survived the Great Depression and consolidated you know, very uh, clear trends, and things were more predictable and, and, and more balanced. And this depression, this downturn, it, it, it's the worst part of the season. And it's very different from what we saw in the 70s. And most economists are going to tell you, oh, okay, government's printing money, and we're going to see inflation and stagflation like we saw in the 70s. We're going to see the opposite. We're going to see deflation, and it's a whole different ballgame for businesses and investors. So you have to get the deflation theme of it's not just a downturn. It's a long-term downturn, and deflation is the trend. So holding cash and being lean and mean is the key.
0: Great. Thanks, Harry, for being on the program. Okay, thank you. And uh, the book, The Great Depression Ahead, How to Prosper in the Crash Following the Greatest Boom in History, the website is www.hsdent.com. And I would encourage you not only to go out and read that book, but also get on the website. If you want to go back and do some research to see if what he's predicting in the future had any relevance to it, read his earlier books and I think you'll see the trend there. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.